0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If God is for us, who can be against us? Please be seated. We have great news today. God's word is perfectly clear for us this morning. In the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we are reminded not of our sin but of the grace of God that has eclipsed the accusations of the law through God's justification of man in Jesus Christ. Paul says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are being called according to His purpose. The history of this world is full of ups and downs. Throughout the history of God's people, there is an interesting thing that happens time and time again. When mankind seems to hit its lowest point, when God's people have lost all hope, when God's prophets are not sure that they can push on anymore trying to turn the hearts of such stubborn people, God takes action. Certainly he is active in the high points as well, but we see over and over that God does not give up on his people. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, God clothed them and promised a savior. When God's people were oppressed by Pharaoh, God brought them through the waters headed toward the promised land. When the people turned away and desired other gods, the one true God called them back to himself. Why? Why did God do this? Why would God act this way? In our Old Testament lesson, it tells us, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. God is not impressed by numbers. He did not choose Israel because it was the most impressive nation in all of his creation. They were, in fact, the least. The text continues, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. At this point, In history, not only were God's chosen people smaller in number, they were very much undeserving of God's love. But who really deserves God's love? Can anyone honestly lay claim to the right to be loved by the almighty creator of heaven and earth? God tells his people it's by his grace That you are mine. Our Old Testament lesson concludes, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who, who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Your faithfulness affects your family to generation and generation. God promises His love to his people, this gracious love of God is central to who he is. We can often make the mistake of thinking that God was more legalistic in the Old Testament and more gracious in the New Testament. In reality, God's outpouring of love is present throughout creation, the fall, the history of his chosen people into the sending of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and even into our time now. God certainly created this world with order and designed us for a specific relationship with him, which his law reflects. But God has always been slow to anger. He has always been abounding in steadfast love. So what was told to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7 is true for us today in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God has chosen you to be His treasured possession. We are treasured by God, which I guess from our perspective is a little hard to believe. But it's true. And it's as true now as it was then in the sermon in Deuteronomy. Earlier this month, I spoke about, I talked about the paradox of being sinners and saints as we reflected on Romans. Our existence has a tension of being sinners who are redeemed. We hate our sin, but then we return to it. We know God is faithful and we know that we are not. And as we consider this, it doesn't add up that God would love us even though even when we reject his word through our actions and inactions when we are honest about ourselves we realize that we are as good as dead in our trespasses the faith that god has given us through his word is hidden by our sinful flesh even when we are faithful we know we cannot make up for the times when we are not We are not worthy to be treasured by God. But, in our gospel lesson today, Jesus tells a couple of parables that have parallels to one another. Jesus gives account of treasure hidden in a field and a pearl of great price. And while many aspects of these two parables are very different, we see a common theme within these two short parables, most notably the final sentence in each. When the person in each story finds these treasures, he sells all that he has and buys it. The man who finds treasure in a field sells all that he has and buys that field, the merchant, Who finds the precious pearl sold all that he had and bought it. Often, these parables are interpreted as what disciples must do when they find the kingdom of God sell everything that you have and follow Jesus. This is not necessarily a bad idea. We as disciples should recognize what's of true value. That our earthly wealth compares not to the love of God in Jesus. So giving up our possessions and following Him should be a no brainer. But if we unpack these parallels a little more, I would suggest that the person, the merchant in the parables are not actually the disciples, they're not us, but they are in fact Jesus Christ. And the treasure in the, and the, the pearl in the parables are in fact you, his disciple. When God created you, he knew you were priceless. He created man in his image, and in the beginning he walked with man. He shared his personal, personal relationship with man. After the fall, God saw the beauty of his treasure still, yet it was covered in the mire of its own sin. Still, God led his people, and in many and various ways, he showed his power to man and spoke his word through the prophets. In time, he sought out all humanity through his Son. Like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field, or a merchant searching for that pearl of great value to purchase back, to restore the original relationship between God and man. Jesus willingly gave up everything for you. Jesus does not see you as his greatest treasure because you are most impressive, athletic, the smartest, most beautiful or generous, humble or kind person. He sees you as his greatest treasure because you are his. He knit you together in your mother's womb, and he spared nothing, absolutely nothing, to restore your place at his side. There's an artist on the west side of the state. His name's Edward Riojas. He's a Lutheran, and some of his art depicts parables. His art captivates me, and uh, especially this piece that uh, is called Hidden Treasure. So I'd like you to notice this with me and and look at, at what's being portrayed here. The quotation that's probably a little hard to see on the scroll at the bottom quotes our gospel lesson. For joy he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Can you see what I was describing as I was describing how to understand these parables. Jesus standing in a field. But this is not a a cornfield. This is a graveyard. This is a cemetery. Tombstones aligned along with buried bodies of saints who have gone before us. This picture doesn't look too different from what we see right outside our windows here. Our cemetery, where our loved ones are at rest. And in the background, the church. But Jesus Christ in the foreground is reaching into the earth, claiming what is hidden by death. What we think of as our greatest separation. Jesus reaches into and grabs us from the grave. This picture is a beautiful reminder of what Jesus has done for us. He has sold everything so that he might own the field. Death has no dominion over him. This parable is meant to teach the disciples of Jesus that he came for you. He seeks You out, and Jesus reigns by giving his all, his life, to redeem you. And on the third day, he ushered in our new life in him. His life is never ending because he conquered death, and you and I have been claimed by the one who lives. Because of this, we shall live also. You got a special picture of this this morning as we witnessed Everly be called into God's family, putting to death her sinful flesh and being made new, a child of God. We were dead in our sins, but we have been justified by Jesus Christ. But the devil, this world, and our sinful flesh do not want us to realize this. Sin doesn't let go. Satan continues to try and tempt us. Our world continues to show the scars of corruption. Our salvation is sure and certain, but it is not fully revealed in various ways, hidden like the treasure in our parables. Jesus will return on the last day and remove the veil that is over all peoples. And on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And until that day, God gives us his word and his spirit so that we do not lose hope. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? What do we say to the accuser when he throws our sins in our face? It is God who justifies. There is nothing that I can do to make my justification better, more pure, or more complete. In my sin, I am as good as dead, buried in a field. But Jesus Christ purchased and won me back from the grave. He saw me as good as dead and willingly took my place in his tomb. More than that, he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. So go ahead, Satan, spew your ugly accusations. You are right, I am not worthy of God's grace. But who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Simply put, no. Nothing, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not one thing. Death cannot separate us. Jesus has bought the field. Life cannot separate us. The Holy Spirit dwells with us. Angels cannot separate us. God has made his judgment in his Son. Rulers can't separate us. Their power is limited and finite. Neither can things present nor things to come. No power can take us from the love of God. No height is too high. No depth too low. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Do you get it? Nothing can separate you from the love of your Savior, from your God, who comes to redeem you. Yes, this world has problems. Yes, you have problems. Yes, you are incapable of loving God perfectly, But that doesn't mean that God is not able to perfectly love you. You are treasured by God. His people are the apple of his eye and the bearer of his image. You are justified by God. What Jesus has done on the cross has settled it. In time and space, Jesus took our sin and put them in the grave. It's recorded in history. And the Holy Spirit speaks through his word to tell you today that Jesus died for you. You are loved by God. God loves you. And I know that you know this. As my time here ends, my goal remains the same. I simply want you to know that you are treasured, justified, and loved by God. Nothing can separate you from his love. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for sharing that same love with me. Through word and deed, showing how beautiful it is to live with Jesus, of sharing that love in my life. I am blessed to have served here for this past year and to experience this love firsthand. Thank you for sharing that with me. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.